Amen. Good morning to you. I am the aforementioned Pastor Dave Mitchell. Excuse me if I... You all look so comfortable when you sit out there. I thought, you know what, I'm going to just sit this morning as well. So it's good to be with you all. Okay. <laughs> Don't you always wait for somebody to ask, so what happened? And I'm going to tell you what happened if you promise to respond in love and grace. Yeah, so we went for a little ride. There was about five of us on our motorcycles. Brace yourselves. And uh, going up Ortega Highway. And uh, the two friends in front, and we, we thought we were going to concoct a story. If, if I hadn't had this on, I could have just ignored the whole thing. But um, they stopped as if to turn into Hell's Kitchen. Yes, there is a Hell's Kitchen at the top of the mountain up there. And I didn't know that they were going to do that, and I wasn't paying attention because he's got this anti-Obama sign on the front. If you've ever ridden by it, he's got all these anti-Obama stuff. So I was trying to read what it says. And uh, then, unbeknownst to me, they were there, and so I thought, oh, I can't stop in time. Maybe I can get between them and go on. And so I tried that, but I didn't fit. And so I clipped him, and I clipped him, and they tumbled. It was sort of like bowling. So I went right through, and I was the ball. So I knocked them down, and then I tumbled after them uh, down the road for a little ways. And so... Uh, uh, bounced around and got right back up and felt okay, but uh, then as the time went on, uh, the pain began to uh, grow. So, um, so I went to the Kaiser. They did a really good job down at ER, and they did a CAT scan. They did x-rays. They did blood. They did urine. They did it all, and so I'm glad because now I had a physical, and I didn't have to go <laughs> make a separate appointment. So they didn't find anything wrong with my brain, because uh, <laughs> that was, uh, you know, it's funny, he asked, the, the ER doc comes in and says, uh, uh, so, let's see, what's your name, Mitchell, where do you live, Tustin, what year is it? And for the life of me, I couldn't remember what year it was. It was embarrassing. I looked at Joy, she couldn't help me out at all. And so, oh, what year is it, what year is it? And uh, it took me, I don't know, 10 or 15 seconds to come up. So I don't know. So there may be, that may be just normal for me. So that's sort of, you have to figure your, your flat line. So anyways, uh, then he examined x-rays. And he thinks there may be a fracture here in my arm. So that's why I got a little cast thing going on. But uh, this arm is the worst, least of my problems. Every other part of my body is in pain. So uh, taking Norco, you know what Norco is? Uh, Hydrocording. It's, uh, it's a very nice drug if you're in pain. So, but it does terrible things to your brain. But, uh, so that's, that's my story. And um, my, motors, my motor, yeah, that's the more important question, is how is my motorcycle? Uh, it's uh, in intensive care. And so, yeah, it's pretty damaged. And uh, so we had to have it. See, I said love and grace, love and grace. So it's in the shop, and it's got a lot of work that needs to be done to it. So it bounced around. I bounced around, it bounced around, and I think it took the worst of it. But it wouldn't have been ironic if I had died there, right across the street from Hell's Kitchen, and I ended up in heaven, you know? 
So wouldn't that be something you could talk about on the funeral? So be kind of ironic picture of Hell's Kitchen and there I'm in heaven. So. Well, good to have you here. well, it's good to be back. Thank you. I'm glad I could be here. I'm, I'm just a little sore. Uh, if you could see my hip, it's all black. And so it's... Uh, yeah. Oh, the other bikes were damaged too. So I, yeah, I am at fault and it was all on me and if I've only been paying. Here's, here's what I've learned through this whole thing. Watch out where you're going. There's the, <laughs> if you just keep that in mind, you'll do better in life. Watch out where you're going. And so the other bike is with my bike. They're together, uh, so comforting each other uh, in the shop. And the other bike will be fixed as well. So thankfully, I have AAA. I'm a responsible rider, at least in respect to insurance. Uh, and so they, Lord willing, will be repaired properly and okay. So sorry about that. I hate to distract you with my personal problems, but uh, um, anyways, that's... See, I, I live a regular life just like you guys do. It's just I'm not immune to all the problems and the strategies and... and if, yeah. See, I'm a little fuzzy in the brain right now. I'm sorry. So I'm trying to get rid of the, the Norco out of my system. I didn't take any for a while, so I would be more free in my thought process. But, you know, this morning we want to be talking about um, relationships. We want to overcome what separates us. And here's what's one little thing I've learned. You know, when I first had the accident, and, and the doctor said, the ER doctor says, you are so lucky. And I thought, well, I had prayed before we rode. Actually, I prayed to have no accidents. But at least the Lord protected, because it could have been a whole lot worse between myself and my two friends who have remained anonymous unless they want to share who they are. Because we didn't want anybody to know it was a motorcycle accident because you get all the big pushback. You know what I mean? The pushback that comes about motorcycles. But uh, actually, we concocted a story that there was a widow and an orphan in the street, and there was a bus coming down, and I was going to jump out and grab them. <laughs> Well, we thought it'd be better to tell the truth. Um, but when I think about what happened there, relationships-wise, it's kind of an interesting thing, a little metaphor. It's all these metaphors God gives to you. Because when I first had the accident, all I had was this rib. I thought maybe I'd broken my ribs here. That was the only place that really hurt in my hip. But in the course of the next two days, from Friday and yesterday, and then this morning, other parts of my body begin to hurt now as well. It's a phenomenon. My legs didn't hurt until this morning, and uh, my back and my shoulders. And there's something that happened in that reverberation of the trauma of the moment, and then it begins to ripple its way through the rest of my muscular, <laughs> such as it is, structure. And I was thinking about that. I thought that sometimes is what happens to us in relationships. There's a trauma, broken marriage, fight, dispute, parent-child, boss, employee. There's this trauma that occurs, and unless it's a properly addressed and understood, there's a ripple effect of the trauma beginning to hurt and damage the rest of the body as my body is now feeling the rest of that accident even to this morning. And unless it is addressed appropriately, you don't realize the impact it's having. You say, well, oh, I didn't used to hurt there. Why is that hurting now? And that happens in relationships. When you have a trauma of a broken relationship, some dispute, some anger, some fierce, maybe even physical disruption in the relationship, 
suddenly there starts occurring pain and problems in areas that you didn't know would ever have problems and pain. And it's important to understand why that is. Where are the root causes of that? So we're going to learn about that this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. And you have an outline that is available for you here as well. I want to read Ephesians 2. As we're in verse 11, we're in the book of Ephesians. Better together is the theme. We believe that life is better together. I was glad that uh, I had uh, four other guys there to help uh, as I sat on the side of the road and they wheeled my motorcycle off the side of the road. And uh, Steve Fusco rode down the mountain and picked us up and uh, all that. It's so nice to have others that can help pick you up when you fall down. And Ephesians chapter 2 is all about learning to live together. It says in 2.11, this is what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Therefore, remember the form that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, that's how they would refer to the Gentiles in those days, by the so-called circumcision, that would be the Jewish people, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The problem with the Jews and the Gentiles was the separation. Notice what happened in the days of Herod, King Herod. Here is the temple grounds. When people would go to worship, it was very unlike what we do today. When they went to worship in those days, there was the court of the Israelites. There was the court of the Gentiles. You see two locations for the court of the Gentiles. There was the court where the women would go. There was the court where the priest would go. And there were other divisions within this uh, temple complex as well. And so when people would come to worship, they didn't come to worship together. They came being distinguished by their nationality, whether they're Jew or they're Gentile, by whether they're a priest or whether they're a layman. And so everybody was segregated in their worship. And Paul says, I want to do away with that. Jesus says, I want to do away with that. In fact, when they walk into the courtyard, here was a rock that had chiseled into it this message when they walked in. No, foreigners, no foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade and the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death which will follow. So in those days, if you were in uh, Gentile going into the wrong zone, they would kill you. In fact, Paul was accused of that in Acts. That's part of the reason that Paul was in prison, part of the reason he was being attacked, that he had brought a Gentile into the courtyard where they are not allowed. And so this is a very fierce way. And so God says, I want to bridge this gap, this separation that's going on. If you'd like to learn more about some of these historical facts, there is a turkey tour that is underway in July, or in, in uh, I cannot remember dates, in 2016, in the month of Turkey, in the month of Turkey, sorry. <laughs> Man, sorry. I'm going to blame it on Norco. But, uh, well, you can read it for yourself. You don't need me to read it. So that's coming up. If you'd like to learn more, go to coverylife.org slash turkey. One of the reasons, one of the ways to get over broken relationships is to identify those things that separate us. So I'm going to take what Paul writes in verses 11 and 12. And for us, that's pretty irrelevant. 
but there are applications that come from it. So I'll show you how those apply to us. This is from verses 11 and 12. Again, therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, the Jews and the Gentiles, that's how they would refer to each other. Often it was a derogatory term. Uh, in fact, uh, when Goliath came out to battle the Israelites, he said this uncircumcised monster, as they referred to him, Goliath. So it was a, it was a, a common derision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you are at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Those, that's a list. And you see on the outline that I've listed them, but I want to give you application for us today and maybe talk a little bit about how it was in those days. There is a relationship of separation because it was based upon performance. That's when he says circumcision versus uncircumcision performed in the flesh. You can't come into the courtyard and worship with us because you are an uncircumcised person. And so the application, see, this is the key of the study of God's Word. We could get lost in circumcision and uncircumcision and go back to Abraham and the sign of the covenant of God's chosen people. You can go into that, but what I want to do is just jump right to the application. You find application in these passages, and that's the gold. You want to dig until you find the gold. And the gold is this, that what was happening in the separation is they were basing upon performance. Did you perform the circumcision? Did you not perform the circumcision? So the application is performance-based relationships. Galatians 5 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but the faith working through love. It doesn't matter how you perform this A or don't perform it. Don't base a relationship upon performance. Also in Galatians 3.3, Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? You can't perform to, be, to gain favor with God. You can't perform to gain favor with God one another. Don't base it on performance. Remember, as I referred to it last week, and I'll just play off it one more time, we went to the Patriots game way back in uh, a couple of three weeks ago uh, when the Patriots, the best team in the NFL today, uh, beat their opponent. And um, afterwards, uh, Matthew Slater was so great, uh, and Shazad, his wife, were so gracious to host us. And so we walked on the field, and, and uh, this huge field, this Gillette Stadium, and looked around, just massive. And uh, I remember before the game, we came early, Shazad took us to this tailgating parties that were taking place in the parking lot. And there was such a spirit of vitality and enthusiasm. Everybody had their Patriots shirts and hats and jerseys on. And there was this this coming together unlike anything. It didn't matter what their background was, anything. They were just swarming over the concept of being here at a football game. I thought, wouldn't it be exciting if all of us came like an hour early on Sunday mornings? Could have, been, could have done it last night because we got an extra hour of sleep. And out in the parking lot, we got tailgating going on because we're just so excited to come in and worship Jesus. Wouldn't that be fun? Thank you, Linda. You and I are next week. All right. I'll get the barbecues out there. Call the fire department. And so all that, that and I, started, I said to Matthew, isn't it exciting? The fans are such rabid fans here. They're just so excited for your team. He says, yeah, because we're undefeated. But you should see them when we start losing. Boy, they turn on us. They turn on us. 
And I thought, how many of us have relationships that are like that? As long as you're a winner in my eyes, doing what I want you to do, I'm all for you. But you start doing things that I don't like, that I don't think are right, that I can't support, you're not performing to the level that I think you should perform, then man, I'm going to turn on you fast. And in those days, they had performance of economic, they had the patricians, the, the very wealthy landowners that came from these founding families. So they were a higher class of people. Then you had the plebeians, who were the poor citizens that couldn't hold a public office, and they were one level. Then there were the freemen, the, the uh, former slaves that are set free. Slavery is very different than the slavery that we have known in our country, but they couldn't hold office. And then, of course, there are the slaves. They had these broken-down classes of performance where there was acceptance. In fact, when we were back in, in Boston, we went to one of these very old churches. In fact, this church um, John Wesley preached in. There was a big plaque, John Wesley preached here. And uh, when you walk in, they have these, like, booths. And the one booth you can't read, it says there, the bay, bay pew, this pew for the use of the gentlemen of the Bay of Honduras, 1727. And what they would do is they would buy their own little cubby booth. And they had their names. A lot of the captains of the ships would have their names on the outside. And no one else could sit in that spot except those who have paid for that spot. Isn't it great that we don't do that here at Calvary Church? That we're not locked into where we sit and we don't sit in the same seat every time so that we can... Isn't that great that we're willing to move around and somebody's sitting in our seat where we always sit? It just doesn't matter to us. Isn't it great that we're a church like that? We're so much better that way. I'm so thankful that we are that way. See, think positive thoughts. Think positive thoughts. And when it comes to performance, sometimes I want to make sure, here's a little cartoon, First Church, if you can't read it, I don't know if you can read it very well. Oh, it's easier up here. Today's sermon, tolerate thy neighbor, be he from a red state or a blue state. As the elections are coming along, I think as believers, we need to be careful that we don't become a Democrat church or a Republican church but that we're Christ's church. And when it used these, these categories of performance and class to separate and segregate us. And we think you'd be careful. Sometimes we think that USA is Jesus' land. We are, the, we are the new Israel or something. We are, we are not. We're just another country in the history of the world that God has blessed in so many wonderful ways, but we don't have any more rights to Jesus than any other country in this world. And sometimes we, we merge together the name and salvation of Christ with a USA as if it's all kind of the one. We need to be very thankful for our country, but we need to recognize that we need Jesus just like everybody else does. So relationships based on performance we need to be very careful about. Secondly, relationships that lack a true spiritual leader. He says to them, you are separate from Christ. Separate from Christ. When, G when Jesus would encounter the woman at the well, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? And she was a terrible sinner, Samaritan woman, at that. And he says, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that he says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And he didn't care that she was a serial sexual sinner. Jesus didn't care about that. We cared about that, but he didn't allow that to become an obstacle 
because she needed a spiritual leader and she needed Jesus Christ. So he went right in the face of culture of the Samaritan Jew separation and right in the spiritual separation issue where she is a terrible sinner, but he didn't care and he wasn't going to use that to block his love for her. And you and I, people need a spiritual leader named Jesus Christ, separate from Christ. If someone's separate from Christ, it doesn't matter what their sins are, they still need Jesus. Like Jesus, go in the face of the sins and the culture clash that may be there because as a result from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he has told me all the things that I have done. She needed a spiritual leader. Relationships of marriage, friendships, businesses, neighbors, without a spiritual leader to be the guiding force, when I'm separate from Christ, I am prone to stray to the wrong thing. And if you're married today and you don't have Christ as a centerpiece, the lordship of your life, then you are prone to doing the wrong thing. Jesus Christ, he says, you were separate from him, but in that love, he came to you. Relationship based upon racial or ethnic background. He says, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. He said to the Gentiles, you were excluded from this nation. You were not ethnically correct. You were not racially connect. You were Gentiles. You were the uncircumcised. But now I want to bridge that in Jesus Christ. And so God says, I don't want you to divide yourselves up based upon race or gender or ethnicity. That should have no relevance to a believing group of people. As Paul wrote in Galatians 6, 3, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourself with Christ. And here is the, the lack of separation. There is therefore neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor freeman. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what your skin color is, what your ethnic orientation is, what your natural tongue language happens to be, what country you came from. In God's view, when you become a believer, you remove that separation that should have no relevance to the relationships of our lives. And for those where that is a high factor of whether I relate to you or not, then come to Jesus because he wants you to be cleaned up from that viewpoint. That's not biblical. And so that was what Paul was trying to bridge there. Relationships that have uh, without God's direction and promises to them. He said to the Jew, to the Gentiles, you are strangers to the covenant of his promise. God gave a covenant to the nation of Israel. And that's why we still support Israel. Because in Genesis 12, God gave this covenant to them. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the names of the families of the earth will be blessed. They, that's the covenant that Paul is talking about. The Gentiles were strangers to that covenant. And so they didn't have the promises of God. So the application, I hang on to the promises of God. That's not a covenant to us. It's not a covenant to the U.S. But here's what God goes on to say. Haven't I commanded you be strong and courageous to not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go? That's the promise. He is with me wherever I go. He said that to the Jews in, in, in Joshua's day. He says that to you and me today. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with all that you have. For Jesus himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. There's something special about 
even as I sit here with this uh, thing on my arm and my body aching from a motorcycle crash, but there's something comforting to a promise that you can have that when you do something that you know has a high risk value, okay, motorcycle riding is a high risk value, but there's something comforting to know that whatever happens in the journey, Jesus is with me. Now you wonder, did Jesus get hurt in that? No. (laughs) But does he enrich the relationship when you have the comfort to know that whatever happens to me, he's with me? You go, you do, you dare, you have hope, you have promises, you claim them. When people don't live with the promise that Christ is with them in all that they do and say, that's a dangerous way to live. But when you go knowing, using wisdom, everybody should be wise, you should be smart in how you live your life. But when I see that Jesus says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, and he promised it to Joshua, he promises it to Abraham, and that's a promise I want to hang on to. I don't want to live a dangerous life without the promise of the covenant that God has given to us. And then we have relationships with emotional despair. He says to the Gentiles, you are people with no hope. No hope. There are people with emotional despair of depression, discouragement. And they feel this downcast condition upon their lives. And they don't want emotional barriers to block the way. These emotional barriers like anger and depression and discouragement, this despair. There are some of us who have broken relationships because we are overwhelmed by a hopeless condition. And God wants to set us free from them. I'll show you how he does that in a moment. But let me move on to the last one. Then he says, you are without God. Relationship that is spiritually empty and directionless. That is a broken relationship. He says, you are without God. Hope, you had no hope without God. Here's a little thing that's kind of clever, kind of cheesy. Without God, our work, our week would be sin day, mourn day, tear day, waste day, thirst day, fight day, Shatter day, seven days without God, makes one W-E-A-K. Clever, cheesy, you make your call. But there's something about that that sort of rings true as we live our lives. It's interesting, I read uh, in Associated Press, an interesting article this, this last week. Remember the Iron Curtain? I was in Berlin, East Berlin, West Berlin, way back, and to go through the thing, and the Iron Curtain, Reagan says, tear down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev. Those are amazing days. Something they studied they did is this. There were deer that were in Germany, and there were deer that were in the Czech Republic, and they were both on either side of that Iron Curtain wall. And so they, the deer and, and, and their offspring never obviously could go to either side of that wall. Well, the wall then became torn down. And so they put a GPS device on this one deer, and they named the deer Ahornia. And they followed that deer and its offspring. And that deer was in Germany. And that deer, according to the GPS, would go right up to where the wall was, or used to be, and then go back into Germany. That deer never entered in the Czech Republic. The scientists are baffled, because there's, there's wonderful lush land either way you would go, but the deer wouldn't cross what used to be the line of the Iron Curtain. And they came up with this, the only thing they could think of is that there are two reasons. There's something maybe even genetically that was going on, but there was also something that the herd was passing on a tradition. 
that this is the area of your domain. And we never go beyond that wall to the other side. Now, if there's something metaphorical about that for us, what are those separation values that we have been passing on in our families, that we have heard over our lives? Candidly, I still remember being with my grandparents in Fort Worth, Texas, and my grandfather, whose name was Jago. I still remember Jago talking about this is the whites drinking fountain, this is the blacks drinking fountain. I say, God, that's in my past. That segregation value. And I don't want that mindset to carry on from generation to generation. And what are those things that have been part of our past? And we're like the deer. we got this wall, but there's no wall. But we feel like there's a wall. And I can't go beyond the wall. And I've been passing tradition upon tradition of separation. It could be emotional separation. It could be physical separation, spiritual separation. The values of being separate from Christ. The valuelessness of being without God. Are we passing on those things that separate us? Or are we passing on those things that unite us in Christ? And so what is it we should be passing on? How should we pass it on? But let me ask you ask and answer this question. What do you think causes most conflicts in relationships today? What do you think causes most conflicts in relationships today? Would you talk to the people around you and just discuss that for just a few minutes? I'm a little over time here, so I'm going to cut that just a little bit. But just what causes conflicts? As you think about what we just talked about, what I'm going to talk about, what causes most conflicts as you look around in your life, your experience? What do you think are those things that really hijacked a relationship to create conflict? All right, about 15 seconds. Let's wrap it up. I've got to shorten it for the sake of time. All right. Hopefully, in an honest way, you can sort of assess where those come from. But let me show you, whatever the conflict may be, how God wants to turn that. He wants to break the traditions of the separations of the past. And we apply these solutions. Here's where Jesus, God takes us. And we're going to finish it up in a couple of weeks. But apply solutions that heal and help your relationship with God. What are those solutions? Here's three of them. 
Number one, very basic, not a newsflash. You didn't even get, need to get a PhD to figure this out. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You draw near to Christ to find healthy peace in your life. You know, a lot of people want to get married and they can't find the right person. And often what is said, and it's true, is you don't want to find the right person. You want to be the right person. And too often I want to blame someone else for my problems. And no, Jesus says, let's just deal with you right now. Instead of you trying to control someone else, why don't you just let Jesus take control of you? We want to fix them so we can fix the problem. No, Jesus says, I want to fix you so we can fix your problems. So it begins with me. It begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ where he transforms me. Peace I live with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. I, I want your peace through Christ. These things I've spoken to you so that you, in me you may have peace. Yeah, we're going to have tribulation in the world, but take courage, I've overcome the world. I want to overcome that through Christ. Don't blame others for what you have done yourself. Come to Christ, be who Christ wants you to be, and let the rest God deal with. Secondly, you need to reach out to those others by removing false obstacles and unrealistic expectations that separate us. I need, to, I need to get rid of that stuff that separates me. I need to see how unrealistic so much of that is. As he says in the Scripture, in Ephesians 2, for Jesus himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments and contained in ordinances. All these 600-plus regulations that Pharisees created, he says, just get rid of them. You know, I grew up in the church in the 60s, and we were so legalistic-based so many times. I got friends who really don't go to church anymore because they had all these ordinances, don't drink, don't dance, don't go with girls that do, and all that kind of stuff. And all these, all these, all these regulations that were played up big and to the neglect of other things like don't be jealous, don't be envious, be generous, don't be selfish. The, those, no, you didn't find those in the list. And so people get blown away because they're being driven by a legalistic set of standards when God says, no, you need to take down the dividing wall. That means a lot to the Jews and the Gentiles. The dividing wall, when he said that, they're thinking about this. The court of the Gentiles, the court of the Jews, the court of the priests, the court of the laymen. Yeah, there's lots of walls. There are walls that we build today. And I'm thinking about these are the walls that sometimes I think about. What are the walls in your life that need to come down? Am I, am I loving someone based upon how they perform for me? Are they doing the things I want them to do so therefore I'll love them? Sometimes parents, we put these demands on our kids and I, I'm very sensitive even from our own two girls. I don't want to put things on them that you should live your life this way, you should do that. These are the things I expect from you. And that if you don't do those things, I'm going to kind of hold back my love from you. Well, I think about myself doing that or not doing that or working hard to not do that. Do you have friends? Do you have classmates? Do you have people at work where you're, you're performance-based and you're not going to love them because they're just not performing up to a standard you have for them? God says Jesus Christ came to get rid of that kind of lifestyle racial or gender class. I'm not going to love certain people because they're not of a class that I think is appropriate. Emotional struggles like anger, bitterness, and unforgiveness. 
those are terrible walls. Sometimes we build those up because I'm not going to forgive that person. If you knew what they did to me, you saw how bad they hurt me, you wouldn't forgive them either. Does Jesus forgive them? Is Jesus your standard? We need to overcome the walls that we create. One of the ways you gather together, Calvary goes to dinner. That's why we're promoting that so much. You know, I wrote in a little email that this last week, uh, we had our daughters over for, for dinner the other night. And um, it was just the four of us. And it felt like, you know, like, we were, like they were in high school again. It felt like kind of old news, you know. Because we used to, dinner time for us is always so great. And we could talk about everything. And there was funny stuff that was talked about. There was gross stuff that was talked about. And there was serious stuff, work-related stuff, issues of life that bubbled up. And if we had made an appointment and I said, you know, Kirsty, I'd like to sit down and talk to you about some serious matters. <laughs> no. It's got to bubble up in the course of time. And we're not expecting heavy-duty therapy to come out of cover like Kevin goes to dinner. But it's an amazing thing. You know, in our little life group that we meet in, we're meeting tonight, by the way, life group people. In our little life group, the last time I mentioned this in the email, one woman in our life group suddenly has a grandchild who's three. And she got acquainted with another you new couple in our church who has a baby who's been adopted who is three. And I heard them talking as they went out the door. We should have a play date for our little three-year-olds. And that relationship wouldn't have happened except for the investment of time and sharing and opening their lives. So Calvary Goes to Dinner is, is an opportunity to share and open our lives to the degree that you're comfortable with, to the degree that you're not comfortable with it. Don't talk about it. I don't want to make this a heavy thing. Don't get me wrong. But it's a wonderful thing when suddenly I have connections with people that I didn't even know. And that you think about that the way I think about that. And you have that that I like mine. And, you know, I'm hoping a whole bunch of people that ride motorcycles will come to our house for dinner <laughs> so we can share the commisery of going down. And then finally, you need to let Christ change you and your relationships so that you can have peace with others and God. Might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. By having put to death the enmity, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and to those who were near. Far away, near. Here's the application. You have friends that are near you all the time. You're always connected, always staying in touch. But you know what? There are other people that are far away. Physically, spiritually, emotionally far away. And you know what Jesus came to do? Is to bridge even that as well. To help build a relationship with those that are far away from you. To draw them in. To care for them. To love them. To support them. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. Remember? We need to engage with people even if we don't endorse their behavior. We need to engage with people even if we don't endorse their behavior. And that's where God begins to do his best work. When you and I become open to the Spirit of God in the relationships that are far away, spiritually, emotionally, or physically far away, draw them near in Christ. Because he says, I reconcile, I change you. And my question is this, where does God need to change you 
to improve your relationships. Not, where does God need to change my husband or my wife? Where does God need to change my boss or my employees? Not, where does God need to change my neighbors? But where does God need to change me? He has come to change me. And I draw near to Christ. It draws me near to others who are far away and who are near. One of the ways we express our time together with the Lord is through communion. I'm going to invite our leaders to prepare as we go right into communion. But I love this passage talking about reconciliation. Look at it on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Now all these things are from God who reconciled. And every time you see the word reconciled, just use the word change. So I'm going to use the word changed. Now all these things are from God who changed us to himself, to himself through Christ, not through what I did, not keeping the Ten Commandments. He changed us through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of changing, namely, that Christ was in, that God was in Christ changing the world to himself. God doesn't change. The world needs to change. I need to change. Not counting their trespasses against them and is committed to us the word of changing. How many times is reconciliation used? And it's changing. God wants to change us to no longer be separate, apart, but together in the name of Christ. And as God changed you by forgiving your sins, by cleansing you of all wrongdoing, of thought and attitude and deed, and if so, this communion is for you. If you've not been changed by the blood of Christ, by asking for his forgiveness, I invite you to do that now. So let me pray for us, and then we'll take of the bread and the cup. Let me pray. Help us, Father, as we bow before you. Father, there are often in our history of our country relationships that have been hurtful and shameful. And Lord, if we're part of that in any way, we should confess that to you. But sometimes in our own personal history, our personal lives, sometimes even to this day, we have relationships of separation that Jesus Christ came to bridge to draw us near, to draw us near to those who are far away and to draw us near to those who are near us. And Father, I know that what you tell us is that as we draw near to Jesus, he changes us so that we can go and help others change too by the power of Christ. Father, if there's any here today who have never been changed by your forgiveness of the blood of Christ, I invite them to be changed or reconciled right now. Pray with me. God in heaven, change me by forgiving me as I confess my sins to Jesus. I want to draw near to him because I know he died for my sins. So forgive me this moment that I would be right with you. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.